Welcome to Nell and Matt's Obsolete Movies, the podcast where we revisit movies from our 20 plus years of collecting films on obsolete formats. You can also think of this podcast as being about films from the VHS era, or that you could have watched in the v- on VHS, though not always on VHS. However, our film for this episode is entitled The Witches of Eastwick from 1987, and we did watch it on VHS, getting it actually quite recently from Mistake by the Lake Records in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, so we got it from a different place than we normally do. Yes, we did, but it's weirdly the same place that we normally do. It's just <laughs> in Cleveland. Um, or there's a lot a lot of similarities between Mistake by the Lake and Pleasant Dreams. Uh, yeah, so Witches of Eastwick, I, it's one of those, you know, I was when it came out uh, it was a hot film when it was time and we were talking what Cher, Cher Michelle Pfeiffer and Susan Sarandon and Jack Nicholson yeah. as the big four stars um, it was a I think a, a prestige film or a film that was well loved in its time we even noticed uh, we do have a hardcover copy of the novel which you'll see on Instagram in our in our personal library um, which this novel came out in 1984. Yeah. By and it was in May of '84. By June or July of '84, it was already on its third hardcover printing, which is the I know this because that's the front what it says in the front <laughs> matter of the book we had. And from 1984 and then 1987, the movie came out. Yeah. So pretty quick. Pretty quick. Pretty. I mean, again, it was John Updike was a big deal back in those days. Yeah. And you actually have the advantage of having seen. Or having read the novel. Right. I have not. Right. <laughs> so I guess we should plot summary real quick. Yeah. Yeah. So three friends played by um, Susan Sarandon, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Cher. Um, and this would have been like around peak time for their careers. Yes. And so they're suffering from the three Ds, death, desertion, and divorce. Um, yes. So Cher's husband died. Susan Sarandon's husband divorced her, and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's husband deserted her. And in a drunken night, they wish for the perfect man, and the next day, the perfect man shows up, and it is, uh, you know... Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Jack Nicholson. As Daryl Van Horn. And all this trouble and situations ensue from, from there. And he turns out not to be the ideal man that they had hoped for and so they they try their best to get rid of him yes that's a great and he you know and they all he seduces all three of them and they all find out but then through a magical tennis match they kind of decide that it's okay yeah (laughs) that the sort of yeah that he seduced all three of them and wants to remain sexually active with all three of them. them Yeah. Uh, is somehow okay through yeah. a magical tennis match and then we also yeah. have to mention Veronica Cartwright plays this character Felicia who kind of in some ways steals the show like she's pretty amazing yeah. in that role where she's having visions of uh, evil coming to town and she just can't help herself but like spew she's like a prophet who's spewing yes. like, whatever comes to her her mind around this uh, it does an amazing job playing that particular role. My favorite part is when she's in church and she just starts yelling out whores. Um, yes. Which is my favorite, one of my favorite scenes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so there's all these elements of small town ca- scandal. And I yeah. think 
to sort of dial into thinking about watching this film 20, 20 years later and the way that it almost, it's not a period piece, but it's a, an artifact of that era. Um, the film does some really interesting things mm-hmm. in that it plays on sort of small, the, the idea of small town America, small mm-hmm. town New England in particular. Mm-hmm. There's this beautiful montage that could have also been from the Reagan 84 Morning in America commercial. <laughs> like sort of montage it's morning in America and yeah. look at all this you know innocent small town beauty and and idealism right which I think is a very interesting artifact of the Reagan era about how America really tried hard to see itself as yeah and then the other thing that happens yeah is that yes this prophet character kind of takes the place of the moral majority and is a source of comedy and ridiculousness and is actually sort of taken care of by Daryl Van Horn. Yeah. Um, Yeah, which is, I think, also a fascinating... And the fact that, you know, Daryl Van Horn is also incredibly wealthy. He, Mm -hmm. He goes around... He has a servant. He goes around town in a big black Mercedes stretch limousine he buys this massive mansion on the seaside all of that too which is also a very sort of 80s that we like lifestyles of the rich and famous you could imagine robin leach narrating you know some of the scenes of daryl van horn as he buys this place suddenly and fills it full of art and expensive things yeah the thing I, th- I love the beginning scene with um, Susan Sarandon's character is a, um, a celloist and she is teaches music at the local school. And I believe it was like the principal maybe mm-hmm. um, comes up and propositions her. Yes. And he's a married man. He knows it's her day that she's getting divorced that day. It's the, her divorce is finalized. Um, and he smacks her on the butt and was like, I think we could arrange for you to be full time. And just that though it's like this ideal town, that there are kind of like worms in the apple, right? Yes, and that's love, a great way of putting it. I love that they start it that way because, mm-hmm. um, well, we'll get into the differences with the novel, but um, I feel like the novel doesn't really touch on it as well like that the, the, that kind of the yeah I, I think let's get into it because you actually have the advantage of having read the novel yeah and it sounds well, like you know which is a rule no one believes in anymore I don't think but it does break the the book's better than the movie rule or maxim right you, the, this sounds the way you describe the novel it definitely seems like the film is better so I'll and I'll admit it's been probably 15 years since I read the novel but the novel left such a bad taste in my mouth like mm. I, I finished it and I was like mm. um, and, you know it's John Updike so there's always going to be some you know um, misogyny, misogyny just say it there's going to be misogyny there's always a side, of, a side of misogyny in every Updike novel that masquerades as insight 110% and so, though you still have the three characters, they change their names and look slightly for the for the film. Um, but really, and they're already already witches. They're already witches. Uh, but I, you know, I f- but it for me, if it, it felt like new agey witches who are like into sage and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, they of course all three again are divorced or and de- de- deserted, and death have impacted them. Um, they they. Uh, you know, he comes into their life 
It's set in the 70s, and it really just feels like, just honestly, like a bunch of... it. For me, the novel was just a bunch of self-absorbed, self-indulgent people just getting into sex and drugs and mm. alcohol. And, you know, that's all it's really about is this kind of excess, right? Mm-hmm. Which was definitely the 70s yes also you know we say this a lot like for our generation that 70s is the 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 like initial time of mass divorce right be mm-hmm. really prior to that it was like if you made a hard bed you you lied in it right and so like divorce is there women uh, of course our um women's lib is huge of course you have the pill but it really it's just like feels just like people being really self-indulgent wealthy upper middle class people um you know just having sex and doing drugs together and it's just kind of not interesting to be honest with you yeah which you know i i guess again that's the baggage of updike and you know and, yeah. and the even the dust jacket mentions rabbit run rabbit redux yeah. and then eventually you'll write rabbit at rest you know and this idea of the the guy who abandons his family is the real victim in all of this and i even i it reminds me of a conversation i overheard uh, in the halls of the English department where a colleague was talking a student through his reading list and mentioned that, like, he was doing 20th Century America, so you have to talk about Updike. And right. she would, they were just laughing hilariously at uh, the, his one of his last novels, Towards the End of Time, mm-hmm. where literally, like, humanity is dying. Civilization has fallen apart and humanity is dying off. Yeah. And she talked about how, like, in the novel, the real problem is he's getting older and lacking his sexual virility that he had <laughs> as a young man. And that's the real okay. thing that's that's a mess right now that we should be thinking about. Well, um, everybody else dying, I don't know, but, you know, my junk doesn't work as well as it used to. And that's, yeah. Well, I, in the, yeah. what ends up, Daryl um, marries a much younger woman. Um, I want to say was maybe the daughter of the prophet lady. Yeah. Um, but he marries a much younger woman. The three women get really upset and angry. They curse the young woman and she dies from cancer. Wow. And so, all like, in the sense of it's like, either women can be... Um, liberal, sexually liberated, or they're... they're evil witches right like, like yeah horror. which is like sort of it's the new it's the new virgin horror yeah yeah thing and that's wow. and, it, and so that that always really bothered me because um i did see the movie first right so i did like these characters and so mm-hmm. to have the characters then get to this point where it's just like you stole our man you have to die now we're giving you cancer and yeah. it's just like Ugh. It's just like so gross, and yeah. then Daryl ends up. Actually, it turns out Daryl was sleeping with the his dead wife's brother anyway, and he just leaves. And so, like, he's like a libertarian or libertine or whatever you want to call it, but he's just really into debauchery. Like, yeah. he just wants to sleep with who he wants to sleep with. So it's very boomerish. Very this is boomer-ish. a very boomerish book. I think, and it's interesting because too. Then it's also this film is directed by George Miller. Right, Mad, you know, Ma- oh, Mad, Mad Max, Max fame. Road who, Warrior, yeah. but also then Fury Road, right? Which is this weird, you know, like maybe as a director that always kind of had this idea of like, well, actually, women are real people with complex interior lives, <laughs> exactly, and, exactly. You know, and so yes, these things happen in the in the film where you know they're not necessarily witches beforehand, though. There's this moment where they realize they start to think they have some kind of power, yeah. 
collective power. Collective power. Yeah. Um, Daryl Van Horn um, says a lot of like really the right things, the sympathetic things, in, in his way of getting these women into bed, and I don't know quite fully what to do with that. Well, you know, you know, he's like, I'm the enlightened man. Don't friend zone me. Basically, would be the later our contemporary. It would be the Seth Rogen, like, I'm the nice guy, why aren't you fucking me, well, you know, kind of thing, which, you know, is, is like he did how many so of those movies. I have a different take on that, though. Okay. So, because I'm now, now that we're older, and now that we have a lot of female friends who, whatever happened, whether they had a divorce or their, or their partner left them or whatever, there there's people in our lives who we know that a man came in who said all the right things at that time and they fell into a relationship with yes. that person. And that's multiple women in our lives. Multiple, so, professional, educated. Yeah. So for me, like, watching that, it was like... Women, yeah. Men who are predators know what to say. Yes. And he's a predator. And so he's tr he's saying... Uh, the one scene with Michelle Pfeiffer, he says, I'll say and I'll be whoever you want me to be. Yeah. Um, and he's just trying to figure out, like, what's the avenue to get them to be with me. This is true. This is true. Yeah. And you're right. Thinking about people we know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's happened to... People we know. Even, who even relatives. Like, we have, like, you, we both have relatives. We yep. both have people in our lives who have gone through this. And, and, like, now watching it older, and you're like, yeah, like, he's saying whatever he needs to say and do to charm those women so that he can, yeah. you know, have his ultimate goal, which is to have impregnate all three of them. Um, and so I think, like, looking at that now, as it, when I watched this the first time, which would have probably been, like, on HBO or Showtime or something like that, um, I like the idea of, like, the three women coming together and their collective power yeah. is what is able to kind of and, save, yeah. saves the day. Um, and it, I still which like is that. ultimately what they have at the end, yeah, which yeah. is the great scene where they do get yeah, but Dale I, Van Horn back. I look at this now and think about all three women were in very vulnerable places in this film. Yeah, and he comes in knowing they're vulnerable and takes over because like Susan Sarandon's character literally just got divorced. Just right? got divorced, doesn't have a permanent income. Right, and then you have like you have you know, Michelle Pfeiffer's character has how many children? Six, like six young six, children. Six young, young children, children that her husband abandoned her. Yeah, and yeah, um, and Cher's husband died, but you can tell she's not fully over his death, right? Yes, and so he comes. He comes. And he finds these women who are... And plays on those vulnerabilities. I think about really, when, yeah. you know, the scene where he seduces Cher's character, he's so forward and she's like, you're vile. And then he says all these things that like really attack her self-esteem. Exactly. And, you know, and then she's the happiest woman in the world for a few days because, yeah, you know, they had, which is an interesting kind of scene. But then again, you know... I think one of those people that we talked about that we know, I mean, I remember her using the line smitten Yeah. when this relationship started, that this disastrous relationship first started, she used the word smitten. Yeah. So that, that, yeah. that's just so interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I think for me, it's hmm. now that I'm older and wiser, Yeah. there is that sense of he, um, you know, he, they, 
you know, in theory, summoned him, right? So they wanted a dark stranger who was under a curse who... Actually, the scene talking about the penis size is really funny. Yeah, uh, which I think is also a fascinating, almost sort of progressive... Yeah. You know, I mean, I've had this... I've had... it. That scene reminded me of this really awkward peer review fiction course I, I was teaching once where I had to explain. It was like she goes away... The, the, the narrator, the main character, goes to France... And meets a guy, and she's like, "I think I'm gonna like France." And this this male student, twenty one, <laughs> like second semester senior, first semester senior, adult male, was like, "Yes, but this doesn't make sense because you know she's only in France for a short time, so whatever is gonna come from that relationship." And like, I had to explain the idea of a fling <laughs> and that a woman might want to right, have. Right. A relationship so. that's temporary <laughs> and enjoy all the fruits of that relationship. And thinking about, like, how do I say this? I'm like, I'm old enough to be these kids' dads now. You know? It's like, well, I, well, you know, people <laughs> enjoy uh, this thing called sex. And sometimes it's not just for mommies and daddies. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was this thing. But, like, so I think that, for me, is also interesting. It's also interesting in that the way you describe the novel... Uh, one of the things I do for my own amusement is I look up Catholic, the Catholic, <laughs> Catholic bishops' official movie reviews, yeah. and the official movie review archive. Yeah, uh, which um, is actually for any teacher if you want to know if a film is classroom appropriate. They have a nice list of all the the things that happen in a film. But yes, this film was morally objectionable. Yes, and said that the novel was much more nuanced and much more much yeah. more thoughtful than this film, um, which it seems like you have the exact opposite impression. Yeah, yeah. No, I do, I do. And I think, you know, for what you're... Just to go back to that fling, like, watching this as a girl who grew up Catholic, where sex was, you know, not... The most evil thing, thing ever. And yes. to have these, these three friends, like just talk about like they want to have sex they miss having sex they don't yeah. have a partner in their life anymore and you know sherry even says it like do we have to just like you know throw away the key because we no longer have our men in our life right yeah and, you know and they're probably in their 30s in that film and they're in a small town and, and, small and what town. are your options gonna be and and i think it's just like amazing that yeah like it's women want to have sex and that's really okay and it might and be sometimes a fling it might yeah. be a longer relationship but it's really okay for women to to want to have sex yeah. and that scene as as like a 13 year old always fascinated like oh, they're talking about wanting to have sex <gasps> yeah oh my I, gosh you know uh you know even this the scene of like the penis can bend can bend the wrong way what you know like that that kind of thing is just like really yeah. really funny to me yeah um and so i think that sense of that progressiveness around it of them talking yeah. about what they want um and the freedom to be able to have what they want yeah yeah which actually is, is another conversation i remember a colleague you know they're doing ghost world and guys in the room were like, women don't talk about sex. And he literally said 45 minutes later, actually, somebody said, actually, we do. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, what? <laughs> you know, is this possible? <laughs> so I think that is, is fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I think to what degree, and maybe this is my Laura Mulvey talking, you know, where, <laughs> you know, 
films teach us desire. We we it's the male gaze. We're looking at men, looking at women, and they teach us how to look at women. Right. And what degree for the audience then versus the audience now is this a male fantasy? Oh yeah. Like if you want, if you could be Jack Nicholson and rich and successful. Even though you're not necessarily... There's films where Jack Nicholson looks very good. Yeah. Like, Terms of Endearment, he looks really good. Yeah. And it's around the same era. He doesn't look good. And, like, his fashion sense is kind of ridiculous. The big final scene, he's wearing this, like, peach-colored, <laughs> like, baggy... Almost feminized kind of like overcoat, what, overcoat um, with like matching pants and a white shirt. Yeah. It's like he's Don Johnson from Miami Vice, but like so, but I think that's pudgy. the point. And yes. I think that's a funny point. Yes. Because he, I was also thinking like the four of them, right? So like Cher Moonstruck came out the same year. Mm. You had Michelle Pfeiffer, Lady Hawk was huge and she's going on to like doing some of her films that she's really known for. Susan Sarandon, Bull Dorms, the next year. Yeah. For him, for Jack Nicholson, Batman is a year or two out for him at that point. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, so for Jack Nicholson, like, you, like, we kind of forget because Jack Nicholson has just been a part of everyone's lives, right? He's been acting since the 60s and he just retired in the late 2000s. So, like, yeah. Jack Nicholson has just been everywhere. But his career has had ups and downs. Yeah. So prior to this, he had a little bit of a down time in his in his career and so to bring him back and knowing he's like a sex symbol right he was definitely you know chinatown like he was a huge sex symbol yeah um and to end like him like jack nicholson's felt is is definitely a very attractive man right like mm -hmm. but in a different kind of way not in a like brad mm. pitt kind of way but to bring him in and he's kind of gross like he's kind of gross like he yeah. doesn't look like he washes all the time and his fashion sense is kind of weird and he's got a, like a weird mini ponytail and he's pudgy and he's and pudgy and like the way his hair really accentuates his, yeah. his male pattern baldness they have his hair and stuff he's also sort of fascinating yeah I love that they did that right like yeah. I love that they did that because it is like you know they mention there really isn't much opportunity in town they're tethered to town, right? Like, yeah. they just can't leave the town. Um, Susan Sarandon wouldn't have the money to leave. Both Sharon and uh, and um, Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer, Pfeiffer have, have children. Have children yeah. They can't leave. And so... Easily. Easily leave. And so they're tethered there, and that's their option that comes that comes along. So that when the devil comes to Eastwick. When, if it was Jack Nicholson in your 30s, you in his 30s, you'd be like, I get it. But Jack Nicholson in his, like, probably what maybe 50s 40s 50s at that point yeah at that point not looking very attractive yeah that was kind of that was interesting that they made that that choice for him yeah and that he was comfortable with that choice right yeah yeah it's jack nicholson being jack nicholson <laughs> yeah but i think it's a fun i think it does a good job with it like he you can tell he's having fun with the role yeah and i think that's the other thing about the there is a fun I didn't want to call it sort of magic realist, but yeah. there is a fun, fantastical element of this film. Yeah. Even as it is this interesting sort of not quite morality tale, but morality tale. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do we do with that? Yeah. You know, I, I think that the, which again is I think part of that, you know, why it was, why it was rated morally objectionable. Yeah. Is that these people transgress. I mean, there's very much, uh, a way that 80s movies did well 
And I don't know quite contemporary what, if there's an analog of like films that do naughty well. No, you're like right. Like that people yeah. are stepping out of line. I mean, that sort of classic, you know, if you want to go full Freud, right, that you have the superego, which is the societal imperative. No, don't do that. Yeah. Don't be bad. You know, which was, you know, again, the moral majority and it was Reagan's America and all that. And the fact that even the opening, like the, the smarmy principal guy, who, yeah. you know, makes the pass and sexually harasses uh, Susan Sarandon, then also uh, has the, you know, the moral majority speech that he makes about, and then divorce happens, and yeah. bad people and things, and yeah. but our founding community, you know, he makes that blustery speech yeah. that is interrupted by the storm that comes out of nowhere, the supernatural. I mean, yeah. so that... And all three of them have that desire. Does that desire... speech to end. That it does naughty well. That there's there's well, a way that like stepping out of bounds and enjoying and saying F you to the don't do that imperative and, and having having a life. So you think about it, there's no nudity. There's there no, is no, no nudity. sex caught on film. Yes. So it leaves it actually like what are, is happens in that house in our imagination is probably going to be much more interesting than what than you could do to get into an a rated R film yeah. anyway. I think that's a part of it. I think they did because like there's a scene. Um, so the uh, the prophet woman, her family owns the newspaper. She convinces her husband to publish that there's scandal happening at the mansion. And the mansion actually had been where, like, witches were. And, you know, we all know New England and witches, what happened yes. to, to witches. Um, and so, uh, the, so an article is published and that the prophet woman is telling everybody about all the scandals. And Michelle Pfeiffer, just a, just a throwaway line, says, my children think I'm a dyke. And you're like... Oh, all of them are having sex together at the same time. Like you know what I mean? Like it's the but they just do this like subtle way of being yes. like, oh, it's a foursome that's happening, and so they don't show it. Yeah, they don't show it at all. But you get and understand that he's either having he's having various type of sexual sexual encounters with them. Yeah, I think they. I think you're right. I think they do that naughty. Eighties did naughty really well. Really well that you can step out of bounds. Enjoy yourself. Yeah. And actually the world doesn't end. Right. Which we've always had this. I mean, it's the it's the joke about horror films. You know, don't don't have sex, don't go skinny dipping in a horror movie, you're gonna die. Yeah. Which is because a lot of our transgressive cinema comes out of the hygiene film. Yeah. The hygiene film led to the exploitation film. As we know, the hygiene film had that weird double bind where it was like you could show it. But there has to be consequences. Yeah. So you have to have sex and de mom and dad. They have sex, but then they die. And you know, yeah. and <laughs> you they know. don't die at the end. They, they don't um, die. In fact, they, they get up, the house. They get the house. Um, They're they quite do. successful and they are <laughs> fully under control. And they do bear his children. And they do bear his children yeah. and they live happily ever after. Right. They weren't punished for no. for sleeping with him. No. And so like... You know, throughout the movie, there's a there's like these magic realism moments that you're you're like, okay, what is what is happening, um, and is it is he a demon or is he just a person who because he does have a, a like a grimoire, whatever it's called, like a a book of spells, um, 
you do find out at the end that he really is something un under otherworldly. Yeah. In it, and um, but yeah, they're they they're not punished for it, right? Yeah. And how refreshing was that at the time? And I think it's still refreshing today. Yeah. I think we still, you know, we watch the honest trailers for us, which is, you know, <laughs> thank you for sharing that because <laughs> thankfully somebody in public is talk other than me is talking about the major plot holes <laughs> in that film, but yet that film's ultimately also a horror morality tale. Yeah. And we do morality tale and we do moral panic really well. I don't know if we necessarily have a national moral compass that makes any sense right. anymore for anybody. <laughs> But yeah. we can be like, we do know really well. We do know to certain types of people really well. Yeah, you These know. women should be not be having sex, you know. Right, but, right. but instead they do and it all works out and they, they, they become empowered by yeah. realizing who they are. And, you know, it's the, so the, um, the prophet and her husband who runs the newspaper, um, you know, she's like, do you know what's happening in that, in that mansion? And he was like, it's none of my business, right? Yeah. And so... Right, that's the right answer. It's none of your business. It's nobody's business, yeah. right? It, who cares? As long as you're not hurting somebody, who cares what happens? Well, I think that's the thing. I mean, you know, we're 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 going through currently yeah. this thing about you know trans people and yeah. gender affirming care and maybe trans people want to play sports, which I think I meant. There's another bill in the PA state legislature right now about this, and it's literally I think four people. There are four young people, four trans young people in the entire state of Pennsylvania, as far as anybody can tell. And we need to stop the presses, stop everything, and like yeah. publicly debate the right of these kids to be who they want to be. Yeah. And so it's like, but you know, you know, all of the everybody else is doing something horrible, and, and our sort yeah. of leaders are, you know, terrible, terrible people. Who do their own terrible things. But if you can like push. You can find somebody on the edge. Yeah. Which actually almost does go back to. This is also the same era as. I don't know if they meant it. But the the great historical book. Um, or history book. Devil in the Shape of a Woman. Mm. That makes the argument. That except for Giles Corey. And I think one other person. the Salem, All the women who were killed. In the Salem witch trials. Were all single. Widowed. Yeah. Postmenopausal women. Right. Who were who were property owners. Right. So they were financially free and you would think then sexually free. Yeah. And wouldn't that be the worst, most scariest kind of woman for that society? Yeah. Who could, you know, get what she wants, have what she wants, has what she wants, and doesn't need a man for it. Which, you know, in a way, though there, you, you can tell, like, you know, Susan Sarandon doesn't have a regular income, like, she does want to get a regular income. Um, but they're, all three of them are living without the support of a man. They no. all have their own own home. Their Which, own and they were single mothers. And single mothers. In mother. the era of, I mean, and you think not yeah. much later, that became a campaign issue. Yeah. That became a Republican Party, and now... You know, you need the female vote, so you gotta find somebody else to worry, have a yeah. moral panic about. Which is fascinating the way that this is. Not to go back to, hey, it's Updike, it's, you know, American yeah. literature. But it is this fascinating, like, maybe purely American fantasy and fan American yeah. tale that. Yeah. I, I, and so actually, we go into this thinking, and we're about to probably get to the four big questions. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know what I think of this film, so I'm just asking to <laughs> think this out loud. Four big questions. Is a camp retro classic or just an old movie? And I'm... Yeah, I think there's... I don't know. I, I th- well, um, I'm going to say it. Like, I'm going to re- I've re-watched this movie a few times over the years. It's not one of those ones like The Changeling where I could watch it every year. Yeah. Or The Shining. But every or Groundhog few- Day. Or Groundhog Day. But every few years, I'm like, which is it, Eastwick? Let me check this out. I'm going to say it's a classic. And the reason why I'm going to say it's a classic, because even now it's rare, rare. Like, it was the 80s, and it really it was led by three women. Like, this film yeah. was led by three women um, who were independent, who were able to live their lives, take care of their families, who weren't punished for what they wanted in the end. Yeah, and going on this adventure and stepping out of their role, stepping out of line. And so I feel like, I mean, yeah. it certainly has some bad 80s stuff about it that's just, like, of the time, right? Like, yeah. But I do overall like think it's a classic, and it's one that I would revisit again. And they all gave really good performances. Yes. I'm just going to say... They gave the four core... Well, actually the five, because the, the prophet woman was, was like... Really she good she brought yeah. it. Uh, she brought it. She brought the hysteria. <laughs> um, she definitely brought the hysteria to it. I think, I, I think it's a classic. I think it's one of those forgotten classics. Yeah. But I did... I, watching it again at, like, and seeing it with different eyes, there's just something that still connects for yeah. me. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And I think that, too, is, I think, part of what this podcast is and what this podcast is about as we kind of debate over things from the past. And, of course, we're also living there, you know, cancel culture. Yeah. And a lot of that is also, is it, it's not just cancel culture, but it's, like, context culture. Like, we need yeah. to, if we are going to watch something that's older and can have these problematic elements of it, that if you watch it not as, like, it's 2023, I'm on my phone, I just want entertainment. Yeah. I'm just going to absorb this message. But it's also about, you know, how do you become an active contemplator of culture? Or how do you how do you think about culture within context? Yeah. Which is really important. Which, I think, you know what, I'll go, I'll go classic as well. Yeah. I'll go classic as well. I mean, yeah, George Miller is going to be remembered for Mad Max. Yeah. But, man. This was a really good, like, I think he did a great yeah. job with it. So, uh, hey, question two. By the way, didn't we think about a fifth question? We did, but we forgot to I write forgot it. I forgot it. I didn't write it down. Uh, the social political distance of... So, I mean, of course it's all white, right? Like, yeah. it's a completely white cast. Um, the one thing I think in our now understanding about abuse and the cycle of abuse, I think they did a really good job of it. Like, we, we weren't necessarily talking about... Um, like you know, like the girls, the women. I should have this. You know, the three of them gets to a point where they are like, "This is too much. All this is happening. We can't see Daryl anymore." And Daryl punishes them in different ways and extreme ways. Extreme ways to the point where they have to go back to him because if they don't, he's just going to keep punishing them. Yeah, and so. You know, like that was never really taught. Like you know, and then you know, even up until recently, women have always been blamed for the abuse or blamed for not leaving. Yeah. And so for this, it was like, yeah, what other choice did they have? He yeah. He lashed out at them. He so, could kill he one could, of them. He could kill one he of could them. He could kill all of them. All of them. And so like he's lashing out in anger and harming them. And so 
this charming man <laughs> that yeah. came into their lives felt like the answer. He was really wealthy. Um, and you know what? It's the invisible man. The con the contemporary invisible man talked about this, right? So, mm -hmm. like, what's it mean to be with a powerful man who's abusing you? How do you get out of a type of relationship like yeah. that? How do you deal with gaslighting? Like, all this other stuff that now are very contemporary themes. That, and that are still hard. That, that are, are so hard. Yeah. Which you think, again, um, I brought this example up in class earlier this week, actually. Um, you know... Pre-second wave feminism, pre-second sex, pre-Betty pre for Dawn, who is herself a problematic figure yeah. uh, for some reason, for reasons, um, some reasons, but yeah, what options did women have to leave until recent even? Yeah. And I, uh, we know of one of those friends who I think we can talk, we can say comes to mind you know, full on had to. The only way to get out was actually she had to be a, become a missing person for three weeks. Yeah, yeah. And and got to a shelter, and I mean, even her family didn't know, and you know, the police were looking for her. Yeah. But that was the way she was able to get out because if you even let your family know, then he can find you through your family. Yeah. And Which I, is, I mean, that's a lot. And, and all of the financial stuff that goes along yeah. with that and all of the, if you do have children with someone, you yeah. are forever bonded with them in one way or another. Um, yeah. And he literally plays on their worst fears. And yes. It, I mean, it gets to... He records their worst fears. Worst fears and, and acts on those worst fears. And yeah, makes those worst fears come true. So that that part of it was really fascinating because you're like, oh yes, that that's what he's doing, right? He's forcing yeah. them back into the relationship because he he wants that control and power over them. And they show him. Yeah, they actually do. Yes. Um, so what about the the technical distance? Well, I mean, I the, the part I had to laugh at was, like, when he was calling them to yell at them for, like, not seeing him, which today he'd be, like, sending, blowing up Yeah, he'd be sending them. texts. <laughs> yeah. I think also, I mean, the, the end, there is some claymation, stop motion yeah, animation yeah. to Just... show his demonicness, which yeah. is ooh, a little bit of, uh, yeah. 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 Fortunately, it's brief. Yes. Uh, which I did remember the question... That oh. I thought about, and oh. I'm going to ask, what about, what does it mean to watch this film in the format we did? What does this mean to watch this film on VHS? Does it add anything other than period correct nostalgia? Yeah. I think that, I think this was a movie my parents rented. Mm. Well, we did have a lot. We had to use the tracker. because it was. We did very, have the tracker. Well, I mean, it was definitely fuzzy. fuzzy. I moments. think, I wonder if those, and this is another thing, like you think about how a film survives or what does it mean to look at a 4K streaming restoration of yeah. it. Man, that claymation at the end might look really bad. Right. I think if yeah, we could actually true. see it. Yeah. Ooh, Ooh. That, yeah, I mean, it was. A, it is. So we have. It's an older TV. It's a 2007. Yeah. 
uh, 48-inch Vizio, or, yeah, 48-inch Vizio, yeah. uh, 1080p is It doesn't the top. turn on all the time. And it doesn't turn on all the time. <laughs> We're eventually going to get a new film, which might add another dimension to this podcast, yeah. you know, or uh, one of the things is, if we get a new living room TV, <laughs> I would have to, like, go to the store and look at the back. Like, can we put all, can we hook this stuff to this TV, even? Um, which might change, like, what model we get, or if we yeah. have to buy a used TV or something. Um, but yeah, so we did have to adjust tracking. This was a, uh, was it, was the studio they were having their uh, 75th anniversary was it Warner? Warner, yeah. Warner. Yeah. It was part, it was a special VHS tape of, yeah. you know, specially priced VHS tape of their important movies. Yeah. Which was cool. Which we have a number of those. Yeah. Because they were cheap, I guess, and a lot of people bought them. But yeah, I think if you could fully see this film... And maybe that's one of the things that might determine what films live on. Yeah. You know, is how will the how will the special effects look at 4K? Yeah. Yeah. And that slight point. fuzzy glassiness of VHS at 40, 48 inches. Yeah. That maybe at thirty two inches on a on a CRT TV. Um might not look so bad. So, yeah. so that was the question. We need this. this those, that's the question that, that we're going to add to the forum. And so will we ever watch this? For the final question, will we ever watch this film again? Yeah, I, I already gave away my answer. I, it's not yeah. one that every year, but every few years I could see yeah. myself watching it. And, you know, I, I enjoyed it. Like, I enjoyed watching this. And it was fun. It was quick paced, I think, you know. Yeah, I will it's, say, it, it's, just... I love, and again, I'm a not a fan of the two plus hour runtime. Yeah. I mean. But I think it, it's pacing was good. I, and I think it did a nice job yeah. of like It's a 90 up. minute film. Yeah. Um, and it of, works quickly. Yeah. And I think in some ways these, I think you also have to, the, the magical tennis match and, yeah. and when they float and other things. Um, the, this idea of being bewitched yeah. or being witched as they would say in, Midi in, in New England yes. I would say medieval New England but <laughs> <laughs> no well I mean there were people living in medieval New England yeah. we don't recognize them but did you what, would you watch this again oh yeah I would definitely yeah. watch this movie again I mean I think for, so for me I did not read the novel I remember the, fi the final sort of the big confrontation scene where they perform the ceremony and get Daryl Van Horn back. Yeah. I have very vivid memories of watching that as a child and not understanding anything else that was happening. Yeah. And I have vivid memories of the final scene. Yeah. So it was nice to revisit and I would totally watch this movie again. Cool. All right. I think we're good. We are. Bye. Bye.